Greetings and salutations out there, sports fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. It is time for another glorious edition of the Modern Day Gladiators podcast here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. I hope everyone has had a fantastic week out there. It's time to get into it, man. It has been a wonderful week in sports. But first, of course, you are listening, as always, again, to the Modern Day Gladiators podcast on the Stage Diver Radio Network, where, again, you can check out some other great podcasts that we've got. J&B's DLC, Halfle, One Fall or 60 Minutes, People in My Neighborhood, Scruffy Little Podcast, all these awesome podcasts available Again, on the Stage Diver Radio Network, and you can check them out at stagediverradio.com, or we've got a nice media player where you can check out everything while you're browsing the internet. And of course, you can also download all of these great podcasts wherever you get your big podcasts as well, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn, so check us out there. And of course, always like, subscribe, comment, give us those ratings and reviews. We want to hear them. That's how we get better. That's how we make this better and spread the word to everybody else. We need your help. If you guys like us, we want to hear from you. And of course, you can always ask us questions at stagediverradio at gmail.com or you can call the hotline at 865-888-0109. If you want to interact with me directly, your glorious host, Michael Shibley, you can check me out on Twitter at Michael underscore Shibley or Instagram, Michael underscore Shibley. Or as always, like the Facebook page, Modern Day Gladiators, where we post extra articles and news tidbits, and you can interact with us there as well. And of course, I post live videos when we need breaking news, and I've got time to jump up there and just give you a little something extra than everything besides this glorious podcast that it already has. So we've got all that stuff out of the way. Let's get in to business now. And we start, of course, we got to start with my beloved Vols. We didn't get a lot of chance to talk about really great things happening with the Tennessee football team, but we get to here with the Tennessee basketball team as the Tennessee men's basketball team takes down number one Gonzaga, 76-73 last Sunday in Phoenix, Arizona, part of the Jerry Colangelo Classic. But again, down goes number one. Admiral Schofield was the man. He was out there. He scored Tennessee's final 11 points of the game, including just burying some threes, including a couple from NBA range. They had the NBA line out there because it's the same arena that the Phoenix Suns play in in the NBA. He had a career-high 30 points, six three-pointers, as I mentioned. That was just amazing, including the game winner, which just came off. Uh, they got him the ball. No one was guarding him, which was a little weird to look at, but, man, he buried it. Tennessee, they had took the lead early. They had the lead at halftime, but then they had to rally. They were down as much as nine points in the second half against Gonzaga. Man, it was just a wonderful game. Grant Williams, of course, was great. As always, 16 points, 12 rebounds. He did foul out of the game, even though that fourth foul I extremely disagree with. There was barely any contact. He would have made more contact had he sneezed on the guy, but yet... They called that foul. I thought it was stupid. Then Grant made kind of an immature foul on the fifth one to get him out, but he shouldn't have had the fourth foul to begin with, but that's neither here nor there. And again, that was something you had to look at, though, because Grant Williams also fouled out against Kansas, and I don't think Tennessee probably would have lost that game had Grant Williams not fouled out. 
in that game. But then Jordan Bowden coming off and with 11 points, including three threes in the second half, which was just amazing. Just a great team effort. Yes, Admiral Schofield had all of the big moments that you really saw, especially late in the game. But, I mean, you look at the Tennessee defense holding the nation's second-ranked scoring offense to 23 points below their season average. That's something amazing to look at. And you could tell that, especially talking to Schofield after the game, that they were just done with having learning experiences, like after losing to Kansas, where they're not able to really crack these top elite teams and beat them. Because, again, they had a chance and probably should have beaten Kansas. When you look at how everything went in that game uh, a few weeks ago, but they just weren't able to get it done. But they went out and had some diversity again against the number one ranked Gonzaga Bulldogs, and they came through. They were able to fight their way through and get the win, which is just, I'm excited for conference season to get going. I am pumped. I mean, of course, you've got Kentucky, you've got Florida, you've got LSU, Mississippi State, Auburn. You've got all these things. Tennessee looks poised to make a very uh, big defense of their SEC championship last year, and I'm excited about it. This got me motivated. I was hoping Tennessee would split these games uh, between Kansas and Gonzaga. I was hoping they were going to win at least one of them, and they have done that. So I am just pumped for this. What an effort by the Vols. I was so happy just all day Sunday. That was just great to see. I love this group of guys. I mean, they were wonderful to watch last year. They're great to watch again. Just You see this team effort that these guys have that seemingly just really care about each other. And Rick Barnes, man, people thought he was just taking kind of a golden parachute type of job, going to Tennessee and maybe just kind of you know, just getting to the end of his career and just having a kind of a so-so thing. Man, he is gum, and he and his staff have developed these guys. Because, again, there's no blue-chip draft pick coming immediately out. There's no one-and-done in this group of guys. But they are just a team. He has developed these guys. It is amazing to watch. And my hat's off to the staff and these players. I have had so much fun watching these guys, and I can't wait to watch them through the rest of conference season as, of course, we will break all that down as those games go here on Modern Day Gladiators. But, of course, next up, I'm very excited about this. Tennessee and the Memphis Tigers renew their rivalry as Tennessee and Memphis get together next Saturday noon on ESPN2. And again, Memphis, they're in their first year with Penny Hardaway. They're 5-4, and four, so they're still kind of finding their way under new coach and great Memphis alum Penny Hardaway. But they'll find their way. This is a great renewal of a rivalry. I'm excited to watch it. You know the FedEx Forum is going to be making some noise. It's great to just have these teams back at each other. Always love being beating Tiger High. That's always the fun thing to see. So looking forward to that one. So great stuff from the Vols. And then also it was great to be a Lady Vol this week as well as the Lady Vols. They struggled against Stetson earlier in the week, but they traveled down to Austin, Texas, and the number ninth ranked Lady Vols, uh, led by senior Mean Jackson with a career-high 33 points. Uh, the Lady Vols beat Texas, ranked number 12, 88-82 in Austin. Avina Westbrook had 23 points. That's her third straight 20-point game. And Sheridan Green had 10 points, 6 rebounds also in that one. So another great team effort by the Lady Vols getting it done, remaining undefeated on the season. So again, it was an awesome week as, of course, the men's team had the win over number 1. And that's moved Tennessee up from number 7 up to number 3 
only Kansas and Duke are ahead of the Vols right now in the rankings. The Lady Vols hanging in there, doing well. Again, we'll see what happens with conference play and see if Tennessee can finally just win these games that they're supposed to win. Again, they've always seemed to show up when these top teams play, but man, the the Vols under Holly Warlick, the Lady Vols, have stubbed their toe in some games that you just have to sit back and scratch your head a little bit. And we'll see what happens coming up as uh, the Lady Vols have about a week off from this recording for exams and and things as they host Stanford, the 11th-ranked Stanford Cardinal, coming up on December 18th in Thompson Bowling Arena. So check that one out if you are in town. So, of course, the Vols and the Lady Vols both getting big wins over the weekend, plus the Kentucky basketball team lost in Madison Square Garden to Seton Hall. So... When the Vols win and Kentucky loses in basketball, it's a great weekend to be a Tennessee Vol. So really happy about that. Excited to see what the rest of the season is going to bring. And I hope you guys are going to come along with me on the ride here on Modern Day Gladiators. But let's switch gears and move to college football as we always talk here in the main segment. The big news, of course, coming out of college football Over the weekend, Oklahoma's Kyler Murray is your new Heisman Trophy winner. He won over Tua Tungavailoa of Alabama and Dwayne Haskins of Ohio State. Kyler Murray with 2,167 points in Heisman voting. Tua Tungavailoa had 1,871 and Dwayne Haskins 783. Those were your top three. Of course, Kyler Murray, just amazing on offense. Over 4,000 yards and 40 touchdowns through the air. He's the second consecutive Oklahoma Sooner quarterback to win the Heisman Trophy as Baker Mayfield won it last year. He's the just, uh, it's the seventh Sooner overall to win the Heisman Trophy. They Oklahoma has now tied with Notre Dame and Ohio State for the most Heisman Trophy winners. So congratulations to Kyler Murray. Really, when you talk about Again, what are you based the Heisman Trophy on? Everybody really thought, again, Tua, great player, but he, so much of what he did was, and again, I understand not punishing someone for being great and also on a great team because, again, Alabama was so dominant throughout much of the season that Tua didn't have to play in the fourth quarter for long stretches of time. He didn't throw a fourth quarter pass, I think, until the LSU game, so... You look at that, but then you see the game finally where Alabama was purely challenged all game long, and that was in the Georgia game, and Tua struggled. Georgia was playing defense. Tua was hurt. Jalen Hurts had to come in and uh, come off the bench in relief of Tua and get the win there, which, again, was a great team effort by Alabama, but it's not an individual one. Of course, you have this whole team argument versus great player because you see, you know, Tim Tebow won the Heisman a few years ago on an 8-5 and five Gators team. You, of course, had the argument where Peyton Manning lost the Heisman because he was the front runner all season long, and Charles Woodson happened to be the best player on arguably the best team in the country. So you had that. You know, you have all these different things. You go back again, you talk about Tennessee disappointment in the Heisman. You go all the way back to 1956 where Paul Horning of Notre Dame won the Heisman over Johnny Majors. And Paul Horning played on a 2-8 and eight Notre Dame team and he won the Heisman Trophy. 2-8. and eight. Then look at most coaches fired if you go 2-8. and eight. Especially if you're a coach at Notre Dame. 
for crying out loud. No, Paul Horning won the Heisman Trophy. Of course, Jim Brown came in fourth, and you think, Jim Brown came in fourth? But again, uh, an African-American had not won the Heisman Trophy as that. It was Jim Brown's, the guy who came in after Jim Brown, Ernie Davis, who was the first African-American to win the Heisman Trophy. So you have that factor going on back there. So again, it's an argument. I thought Tua was going to win because he was phenomenal and part of the reason Alabama didn't have to really play a four-quarter game until the SEC championship game was because of Tua. It was other factors, but I thought Tua was a big factor in that. But you saw just the stats that Kyler Murray put up. And now the big question comes, what is Kyler Murray going to do? Because those of you who don't know, he was drafted in last year's baseball draft uh, by the Oakland A's, he was picked ninth overall. He signed a $4.66 million signing bonus for them. He is going to report to spring training, but there is a lot of questions because many people are saying he's going to be a first-round draft pick in the NFL. But you look at just the devotion you have to have to sports. I don't think you're going to have a Bo Jackson or a Deion Sanders type thing. And, and Kyler Murray, a great athlete, but Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders, su- stupendous athletes as well. They were able to play both sports. And I just don't see Kyler Murray doing that. I think he's going to have to make a choice and we'll see what choice he makes. As you look at how things are going to go for him, he, again, he's got the money from the Oakland A's. I do think he will have, personally, I think he'll have a longer career if he plays baseball. Now, the thing with baseball, you still have to kind of move your way through the minor leagues and get used to baseball a little bit different than you do in the NFL, where, of course, if you're a first-round draft pick, you're pretty much going to play right away, or that's what the thought process is. So you have to look at how all of this is going to go for Kyler Murray. I personally would pick baseball. But honestly, if I'm him, do what you love. If you love to play football more than you love to play baseball and you can make millions of dollars doing either one, then pick football. But if you love baseball more, I would honestly stick with baseball. I think the career process could be longer, less risk of obviously head injuries and less damage to your knees and different things like that. I do think that he could have a very good career from what I have checked out with the Oakland A's organization and what he could be able to do there with Oakland. I think he could have a very long and good baseball career. So we'll have to see. But of course, it's going to be fun to watch him play football. It's going to be a great college football semifinal matchup there in the Orange Bowl between Alabama and the Heisman Trophy runner-up to a tongue of Iowa versus the Heisman Trophy winner, Kyler Murray, and the Oklahoma Sooners. One last thing, of course, I want to talk about with Kyler Murray is hours after winning the Heisman Trophy, Kyler Murray had to come out and apologize for tweets he made back in 2011-2012. They were anti-gay tweets uh, made back when he was 14, 15 years old. And again, I understand, and you should never tweet those things, but there is a reason why juvenile records are sealed and your name isn't even really mentioned as a full name for the most part if you are a juvenile in the legal system. It's because you're a kid. You haven't had the decision-making to be tried as an adult. That's why you don't try them as adults, unless, of course, the crime is very egregious. So that's the tough thing where you go out and you make these decisions. And yes, it was a terrible decision to say those things. I'm not going to, you know, give him 
you know, I'm not going to let it pass with that. But he, who, how pathetic are these people, though, that the second anybody gets a little bit of fame, that they go back and look at tweets from 2011, 2012, when it's 2018, almost 2019 as of this recording. Like, you go after, he's not saying these things now. Yes, it was terrible, but how far back in the past do we need to go with people. Now, of course, people are saying, well, Kevin Hart did that. Yeah, but Kevin Hart was a grown man when he made those tweets years ago as well. Kyler Murray was 14, 15 years old. Trust me, think of yourself as 14, 15 years old. I can honestly say there are probably things that came out of my mouth that, I mean, weren't hateful things like he tweeted, but there were things that I didn't just... You say dumb things when you're a kid. Trust me, it's not the most wise thing to get. And I don't want any of those things coming to light. I'm really glad social media was not around when I was in high school. I will come out and say that right now. So we'll see. I'm sure this will blow over immediately. He already apologized for it. We're done with it. I'm not going to mention it probably again unless some weird news story breaks about it coming up at a later date. But congratulations to Kyler Murray. Again, looking forward to that Orange Bowl coming up on December 29th. Other college football news, real quick. Army beats Navy. It's a third straight win for Army after losing the last 14 to the Navy midshipmen. 17-10. It was a very kind of messy game for the most part. Army scored early, then they scored late. Navy tried to rally, but again, when you have four turnovers like Navy had, it's tough to win, especially against a team who Army won uh, and had their 10-win season. I think it's the third 10-win season in the history of Army football, so congratulations to the Black Knights of the Hudson there for getting that win. Very excited for them. They, of course, will continue. They're going bowling. Navy had kind of a disappointing season this year, I think only winning three games, so their season is over, but you know Navy's going to be back. Ken Matalola is a really good coach there, and he has gotten Navy to do some great things, and Army winning the Commander-in-Chief's trophy for the second year in a row after not winning it for a long time. So congratulations to the Black Knights. Coach Monk and they're really turning things around there as well. And of course, we would be remiss to not talk about bowl games getting started uh, coming up this Saturday. So these are some of the bowl games happening this week between this recording and the next recording of Modern Day Gladiators. Going to make some quick picks here for you. The AutoNation Cure Bowl, Tulane versus Louisiana. Just more of two Louisiana teams playing in this one. I'm going to go with Louisiana. Just pretty much a coin flip there, but I think Louisiana has had a better overall season. Tulane had to fight to get into a bowl game, so I'm going to go with the Raging Cajuns in that one. New Mexico Bowl, North Texas versus Utah State. Both teams had solid seasons. I'm going to go with Utah State. I think they're a better overall team. They had a really good season when you talk about the strength of schedule that they had. They had a better schedule than Central Florida did. Uh, They did lose a couple games, but I'm going to go with the Aggies of Utah State. In that one, the Las Vegas Bowl, Arizona State, Fresno State. Again, Arizona State doing a good job with Coach Herm Edwards to get to a bowl game. But Fresno State, again, with Jeff Tedford, has done some great things. I like Fresno State to get the win in that one. The Camellia Bowl, Georgia Southern versus Eastern Michigan. I'm going to go with Georgia Southern in that one. The New Orleans Bowl, MTSU versus Appalachian State. I'm going to go with the Blue Raiders of MTSU. Maybe it's a little bit of a Tennessee pick, but I'm going to go with MTSU to get the win over Appalachian State, who, by the way, has lost their head coach. 
And then, of course, on December 18th, you've got the Boca Raton Bowl, UAB versus Northern Illinois. I can't not go against UAB. They have had a phenomenal season, you know, years after, you know, two years after losing their program. They didn't have a football team two years ago. I've got to go with the University of Alabama, Birmingham. The Blazers get the win in the Boca Raton Bowl to put a bow on a phenomenal season for them. And that's going to wrap up the first block of action here on Modern Day Gladiators on the Stage Diver Radio Network. We'll be back with Shibbles and Bits right after the break. Again, you are listening to Modern Day Gladiators on the Stage Diver Radio Network. Welcome back, sports fans. Again, your glorious yet humble host, Michael Shibley, with you here on another wonderful edition of the Modern Day Gladiators podcast. Hope everyone has been having a great one out there. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. It's time, of course, to talk shibbles and bits, all the other news going around in the world of sports that maybe you missed or maybe you didn't find uh, just out on your own. You, you missed it. I, I'm rambling. I don't know why, but we'll get into it here. Of course, we got to talk the NFL. Man, what a just crazy week in the NFL. And of course, we can't not talk about the insane way that the Dolphins beat the Patriots on that last second two lateral, the old hook and lateral harking back to Boise State versus Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl. What a just crazy play. As Kenyon Drake just outran Gronkowski to the end zone to get the win for the Dolphins over the Patriots, 34 to 33 in Miami, just an insane play. You got to question Bill Belichick, which is weird because you normally don't question Bill Belichick, at least when it comes to playing decisions, stuff about spying or deflating footballs. You could question, but not really in-game decisions. Putting Gronk in there, saying he was in there to help prevent the Hail Mary. But I just don't think a Miami quarterback, especially Tannehill, who is a good quarterback, but I don't see him throwing the ball 70 yards in the air. And I really don't think Gronk, yes, he's tall and big, but I don't think he's really going to be able to like jump and go high point the ball really well. So having him on the field, and he's not as fast as a safety. You have a safety out there. I think he's able to get the angle and at least maybe push Drake out of bounds or at least make him have to readjust himself in there. But again, he was able to outrun Gronk into the end zone. Just a crazy play. And again, you look at the way this sequence of events shaped up for the Patriots and the Chiefs. Because again, the Chiefs were in a fight with the Ravens. That was a great matchup as well. Pat Mahomes, just an unreal conversion to Tyreek Hill on that fourth and nine late in the game. The game's over if he doesn't make that completion. Just an insane. He rolls out, runs 30 yards up you know, to, from one sideline to the other and then throws it back the other way to Tyreek Hill. That's a Fran Tarkington eyes behind your head kind of plat pass to get to Tyreek Hill to extend the game. And then, of course, on another fourth down, he gets the touchdown to put the game into overtime. Just an insane way that all that went because when you think about it, if the Chiefs lose and the Patriots win, the Patriots then have the advantage because they beat the Chiefs earlier in the season, they've got home field advantage 
through the playoffs. If they meet, they would have to play in New England. But now that doesn't look like that's going to be the case. So that was just a big swing of momentum there where now if the Chiefs do have to play the Patriots, it's probably going to be in Kansas City. So that's a big thing there. You look at some of the other just crazy things that happened in the NFL. Derrick Henry, that 99-yard run on Thursday night, part of a 17-carry, 238-yard, four-touchdown event there for the former Heisman Trophy winner. That 99-yard run was amazing. It's like, you know, it was a great, yes, it was a great, great run. You get all the credit to Derrick Henry, but the Jags' defense, wow. You, you know, have all their guys talking and doing a lot of smack talking before the season, mostly Ramsey on that. He's probably my knucklehead of the year when it comes to a lot of this stuff. But the fact that they just stubbed their toe on there, the Jags we thought were going to be hot stuff going into the season. And man, they have just been a big disappointment after uh, week three of the Jaguars. The Browns beat the Panthers as Baker Mayfield's looking more and more like a very good NFL quarterback as the Panthers just continue to slide. They were looking good after week eight and now, ugh, it is not good for them. The Colts ending the Texans' winning streak. The Cowboys winning in overtime. A big game there against the Eagles as the Cowboys have now won five straight. Meanwhile, the Steelers lose to the Raiders. I'm not going to fault the kicker too much. Mostly I blame that terrible turf there in Oakland for the slide there on that missed field goal. But still, the Steelers, you can't lose to the Raiders like that. And now they've got a game against the Patriots coming up. That is not going to be good for them that's going to be a mess and then of course the big Sunday night game the Bears defense dominates the Rams offense it's going to be interesting to see what happens if these teams meet in the playoffs because the Rams are probably going to have home field advantage or the Saints one of them is going to have the home field over the Bears because of results of course previously in the season but defense does travel a little bit better than offense so it'll be interesting to see where all that's going to go. But you break down my NFL power rankings. I've got the Saints back at number one, the Rams two, Chiefs three, the Bears, I've got them moving up to four, Patriots at five, Chargers still staying strong. They've got to prove it late in the season that they're going to be a viable team. I've got them at six, the Texans at seven, and the Cowboys have moved up into my eight spot. So looking good there. Going into some other sports news, we'll take a look. The Atlanta United have won the MLS Cup 2-0 over the Portland Timbers. That was a big packed crowd there in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. 73,019 fans there to cheer them on. Joseph Martinez is your MVP. Of course, people are like, well, this ends Atlanta's drought in championships since they last won the World Series back in 1995. Okay, I'll give you a little bit of that. It's still the MLS where they're definitely the fifth professional league behind of course the NFL the NBA the Major League Baseball and the NHL so hold your horses a little bit there Atlanta still good for Atlanta fans if you follow the team my hat's off to you there speaking of soccer the women's national team they got their World Cup draw they are the odds on favor to win the World Cup and hope win their fourth World Cup and that's taking place, of course, in France, coming up in June 2019. They got the draw. They've got Thailand to open up June 11th, and then they've got Chile. And then the big matchup will be June 20th against Sweden, the ninth-ranked Sweden team. Uh, they did beat the U.S. in 2016 in the quarterfinals of the Olympics to upset the U.S. women's team there. And of course, that caused Hope Solo to come out and 
tell that saying that Sweden was playing cowardly for playing defensive tactics. So we'll see what happens as it goes. The U.S. has beaten Sweden since then. But, of course, World Cup play will be huge there. Also in the world of international competition, USA Gymnastics. We're going to keep talking about them as these stories keep coming up. They've now filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in rank wake of the Larry Nasser scandal, saying, of course, they can't afford uh, some of these civil suits that are coming up and, of course, failure to live up to obligations, all this other just terribleness. Again, you blow it up. But again, you've got to make payments to these girls and their families because if you don't that makes you look even worse you got to find a way to settle these somehow michigan state was able to do that usa gymnastics has got to stay there because from what some defense lawyers have been saying the fact that they're declaring bankruptcy could stop some of these legal proceedings as well so that's kind of disturbing and depressing But again, USA Gymnastics needs to go away somehow. After this lawsuit is settled, blow it up, start anew. I've been saying that ever since the scandal broke, and USA Gymnastics has kind of just stayed out of it. Back to college football real quick. SEC Commissioner uh, Greg Skanke said uh, that Central Florida needs to look inward in scheduling uh, tougher. It is tougher to schedule non-conference games in football because that's been the big block for Central Florida is the fact that they're not playing really top-level competition in their non-conference slate. They did play Pittsburgh, who did win their division in the ACC, and they were probably going to play and beat North Carolina, but that game uh, was not played because of one of the hurricanes that hit over the uh, the end of summer into autumn, so that game got canceled there. Again, you got to look at it this way. It is tough, and again, it's it's tougher to schedule in football than it is basketball because you have to make these game plans years in advance. And when you look at it, these teams, these top teams, and UCF might want to play them, but they're they have UCF has nothing to lose in playing them and the other teams have everything to lose I mean you lose one game depending on how everything goes and that could keep you out of the playoffs so I mean look at Ohio State they lost one game it was in conference but they lost one game and they're not in the playoffs this year so you have things like that to consider UCF I think has to swallow a little bit of their pride though because UCF was wanting a home and home against Florida Florida was willing to do a two-for-one where two games in the swamp and then one game at UCF I'd be willing to accept that because that's what kind of contemporaries you look at some of these other teams from back in history that had to rise up you look at Florida State and Miami two teams in Central Florida's home state They, for a long time, and they were independents for a long time before they joined the ACC and Big East, respectively, back in the 80s. You look at what they did. Bobby Bowden, especially at Florida State, said, you know, we'll play a 3-1. to We want to go out and play anybody. And then they'd go out and beat them and embarrass them. And that just showed Florida State was out and willing to play these guys anytime, anywhere. And then that gave them the respect. They went out and earned their respect. You know, Central Florida going out and declaring themselves national champions last year probably didn't earn them a lot of respect from these top teams. And we'll see what happens with Central Florida when they play LSU uh, in the bowl game later on this season. If they keep the winning streak alive, we'll see. But right now, I like LSU to win that Fiesta Bowl. That's just me at this point. Going back 
into soccer real quick. This one was just insane. We've talked about this, the Copa Libertadores uh, final that between River Plate and Boca Juniors, it was going to take place at River Plate Stadium, but there was rocks and everything thrown at the bus, and there was damage and tear gas and all this other stuff, and finally the uh, organizing factions, they decided to hold it across the ocean in Madrid, in the Bernabeu Stadium there where Real Madrid plays, and people were not even wanting to do that. River Plate was balking at that, but River Plate was able to rally. They won 3-1 that game. They won 5-3 on aggregate to win the Copa Libertadores, and again, the violence and stuff didn't stop. It was still back in Buenos Aires. Two police were injured and 20 arrests were made as River Plate fans went crazy after they won. So, finally puts a bow on this just insane series of events. Just a mess, but good to finally have that over with. Moving into the USC and fight time here as I'm still the man in the arena here on Modern Day Gladiators. UFC President Dana White has come out and talked to uh, Rachel Ostrovich, uh, and he does claim that he's got Ostrovich's support to have ex-NFL and now MMA heavyweight uh, Harvey on the same fight night uh, card that's coming up on January 19th uh, with the UFC. So that's something that's going on. You have to look at this. Ostrovich, she was scheduled to fight Paige Van Zant in Brooklyn. She was hospitalized last month after allegedly having her orbital bone broken uh, by her husband, Arnold uh, Bearden, another MMA fighter. That case, of course, is still pending. But uh, Greg Hardy, he was charged with domestic violence back in 2014. So it was interesting to see just this dynamic or this UFC fight night, which, by the way, is the first fight night card that's going to be Uh, a UFC event on ESPN. It's part of a five-year, $1.5 billion deal between the UFC and ESPN. And Greg Hardy is also scheduled to be on that in a fight. When you really have to look at it is, why is this happening? Like, they don't have to be on the same page, really. They don't have to be on the same card. But ESPN is really wanting to promote it for some reason, which is always interesting to see as ESPN has come down and talked about the Reuben Foster hearings and everything else, just these different things going on with domestic abuse, and yet they've got this Greg Hardy, and they're promoting Greg Hardy on the docket. So it's just going to be nuts. And again, Dana White claims that Ostrovich said, you know, she said and told him his story isn't my story, which again, I agree with there are different stories, but there's no real reason to have these guys on the same card anyway. UFC fight night, there's a lot of fight nights going around. You can have them on other ones. You don't have to have them on the same one. But speaking of MMA and everything going on in the world, UFC 231 happened over the weekend. Valentina Shevchenko uh, defeated Joanna Jerdazdik. I'm probably butchering that name. I apologize. By majority decision to win the flyweight title in some good action there. She, Shevchenko just dominated that fight. Uh, and then Max Holloway defeated Brian Ortega in the fourth round TKO to win the featherweight title there. So we'll see what goes on there. Of course, Holloway says he's intrigued by having a fight with Khabib. Uh, sometime in the future if Holloway moves up in weight that could be really interesting of course we'll have to see what happens of course uh, throughout everything else going on in UFC but that would be a fight I would definitely be looking forward to 
Also in the world of fighting in boxing, Vasily Lomachenko, the pound-for-pound king when you look at everything. He is a great fighter. He is fun to watch. He unified the lightweight titles in Madison Square Garden in the theater down there. He had two knockdowns in the 11th round as he dominated Puerto Rico's Jose Pedraza, and he unified all the lightweight belts. So that is awesome to see. Lomachenko is a great fighter. I hope he gets some pay-per-view fights because he is a great fighter. He's fun to watch. The pound-for-pound king right now in boxing. But that's going to wrap up Shibbles and Bits right now. Let's move into the world of wrestling. Ah, My favorite time as we get into the squared circle Of course, one of the things, sad news coming out of the world of wrestling this week as uh, Tommy the Dynamite Kid Billington, he passed away over the past week at 60 years old on his birthday, so uh, kind of sad news there. He was, of course, half of the tag team, the British Bulldogs, with cousin Davey Boy Smith, who went on to just call himself the British Bulldog. They had some great matches together, especially, of course, with the Heart Foundation and the Killer Bees and Demolition, all those great things. That WrestleMania 2 tag team win was amazing for them. But, of course, uh, Billington, the Dynamite Kid, his body just caught up with him. He just had a lot of injuries later in his career. Of course, that was destroyed from working the style that he worked with a lot of stiff bumps, bad bumps, steroids, and drugs, of course, had a lot to do with that. I mean, with the steroids, it bulked up his frame to where he weighed so much, really, with his body was not meant to hold that much mass when it came with steroids. He got some flack a lot of times from his autobiography that came out uh, back, I think, in 2009 called Pure Dynamite, where he said he would do it all again where he could barely walk, I think, in his later years. Had a reputation for being a hard man, a stiff worker. And again, that's just part of it. But he did revolutionize the cruiserweight or light heavyweight or junior heavyweight style that many know. You watch some of his matches, especially the ones he had with Tiger Mask in Japan. Those were epic matches. So go back and watch those if you get a chance. A lot of them, of course, are on New Japan World. Those are some amazing ones. But you can see where that style evolved into the, especially the uh, work rate style and the light heavyweight and cruiserweight style that a lot of us know and love, especially in the indies. So rest in peace, Dynamite Kid. Uh, Hopefully you can up there, wherever you may be now, your spirit rests. Hopefully you can maybe patch things up with Davey Boy Smith, who of course passed away years ago as well. But the British Bulldogs were a fun tag team to watch. And it was just uh, sad to see them end the way it did. Of course, with the WWE, we are on the road to TLC, which again, there's some good matches on this card, but man, I'm not thrilled to watch much of it, which is kind of depressing. Raw last night was better than it has been, of course. uh, Seth Rollins coming out and calling out all the things. So it's interesting to see them say and acknowledge that the fans are unhappy and some of the stuff they were having is stupid and pointless and dumb, but yeah, they still do a lot of pointless and dumb things, but let's run down the TLC card real quick as we wrap things up here. Finn Balor versus Drew McIntyre. Finn Balor, of course, has been battling an illness, but that match should still be going on. I've got Drew McIntyre getting the win there. Ladder match between Elias and Bobby Lashley. Uh, Elias's guitar is up at the top of the ladder. The first one to get it can use it as a weapon. I've got Elias getting the win there. A tables match, Natalia versus Ruby Riot. I've got Natalia finally getting the win over Ruby Riot. 
A TLC match between Braun Strowman and Baron Corbin, if Braun Strowman is able to compete. Of course, he's been injured out with an elbow injury. If Braun Strowman wins, he gets Brock for a world championship match at the Royal Rumble. If Baron Corbin wins, he becomes the permanent Raw general manager, which God, I hope does not happen. I am so tired of Baron Corbin in this role. It's annoying. We see him too much. That's a problem. You've got Paige as the SmackDown general manager, and you don't see him see her much at all, but you see Baron Corbin all the time. Get rid of him. Championship matches, cruiserweight match on the line. Cedric Alexander versus Buddy Murphy. I've got Murphy retaining. He's done really well as cruiserweight champion. SmackDown tag team titles on the line in a triple threat match. The Usos versus the New Day versus The Bar. I've got the New Day getting the win. I don't know why, but I'm going with the New Day in that. You know what? Nope. I look at this again. I'm going to make a just a change. I had thought about this. I'm going to go with the Usos getting the win and holding those tag team championships at the end of the year. The Raw Women's Championship on the line, Nia Jax versus Ronda Rousey. I've got Ronda Rousey winning it. I hope they just, Ronda Rousey just submits Nia Jax. Gets, gets rid of her for a while, and get rid of Tamina. I'm done with Tamina Snuka at this point. There's no reason to keep her around. I'd get rid of her, and uh, hopefully that happens. The TLC Women's Championship on the line. This should be a great match. Asuka, Charlotte Flair, and Becky Lynch. You know what? I'm going to go with Asuka to finally get the win in this one. I think she's going to pin Charlotte, which will then have Becky Lynch and Asuka meet at the Royal Rumble. I think that'll still set up Becky Lynch and Ronda Rousey, of course, meeting at WrestleMania. So somehow they're going to get to that, but I've got Asuka getting the championship by beating Charlotte Flair. The Intercontinental title is on the line. Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins, of course, defended it against Baron Corbin in a TLC match last night on Raw. I've got Seth Rollins getting the win and retaining against Dean as those guys are going to fight somehow. We'll see where they end up. I think Seth Rollins is going to be fighting for the championship, uh, for the Universal Championship come WrestleMania. We'll see how they get there, but I've got Seth Rollins retaining here. The WWE title on the line, AJ Styles versus Daniel Bryan. I've got Daniel Bryan retaining here as well. So it should be a fun match. Of course, we will break down all of that as we get into it. Man, that AJ Styles-Daniel Bryan match, so looking forward to that one. Very excited to see what they pull out. I hope they give it a lot of time and I hope fans really enjoy that one because again, looking forward to it. I love the new heel character that Daniel Bryan has been doing. Excited to see all of that and what kind of shenanigans Daniel Bryan will pull out. But we'll break all that down next week on Modern Day Gladiators. More to come as always. I am Michael Shibley. Thank you guys again for listening and of course, Be sure to like, subscribe, share, give us those ratings and reviews. That's how we get better. That's how we get the word out to everybody. But until next week, I love you guys. Signing off. Too sweet. See you next time.